this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering six conversations from Season 3, Episode 25, four from our review of Nash Drug Development 2022 with Stephen Harrison, and two from our Extrasode, a summary of Madrigal Pharmaceuticals' presentation at this spring's Liver Connect meeting. This conversation starts on one path, but winds up being largely about two issues, data and combination therapy. Jorn Schottenberg starts by noting the remarkable breadth of modes of action available and Stephen's command of the material, which, as we've all known since the beginning of this podcast, is exceptional. Stephen goes on to talk about exactly how much data has been created in the intercept trials for OCA just by themselves, over 2,000 patients enrolled, probably 1,500 more than for 72 weeks or more patients now starting to be on the drug for four years. And with the kind of numbers we're talking about and the number of times they've been tested and evaluated, the rich of data is really going to be compelling in terms of what we can do with subgroups. From there, the conversation goes to the idea that no one mode of action will work well enough in and of itself, and some of the reasons we will need combination therapies and some of the therapies that are being looked at to solve issues within drug development right now. The entire drug development dialogue, including this conversation, link actual drug development as it continues this year to some of the issues that will determine how much we learn and how well these trials suit the purposes of all the key stakeholders. It's a broad look at a pivotal issue led by the irrepressible and insightful Dr. Harrison. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Jörn Schottenberg. That, that's an impressive list. And of course, uh, you know, I said that when I commented on Stephen coming on in the Barcelona meeting, it's always a pleasure because he has all the oversight and then is able to recite most of these studies from the top of his head. Thank you for that summary, Stephen. And it refreshes my mind <laughs> every time. My first question, maybe we go back to the FXR obidicolic acid because that's gone the farthest. And that means, I mean, you can reflect a little bit more, but we're, we're seeing 48-month data for the first time in a phase three NASH trial. I think there's a lot of biopsies now being generated. So we're looking at three biopsies again, enrollment, the subpart H approval at week, what was that, 72, and then 48-month data and even endpoints coming out. Is the end of study biopsy even still important? Because we're really looking at endpoints, right? Or potentially also at biomarkers. But what's your take on that? I mean, how important is that long-term end of treatment biopsy? Because that's just the surrogate, right? Stephen Harrison. Well, yeah, except, except progression to cirrhosis is an endpoint. So the idea being with the four-year liver biopsy is, you know, in the placebo, we were expecting to see quite a number of F3s progress to F4s, which would be an endpoint. And that counts towards your overall number of endpoints. And, and so I think for that reason, it's important. However, at the end of the day, what's most critical is preventing decompensation. As you mentioned, I mean, this is a, a, a treasure trove of information to have this many patients more than a thousand patients, almost 2,000 patients, to progress through 72 weeks of treatment and have a follow up liver biopsy. And I don't know how many patients have now made it to the 72-week point. But my guess is it's it's got to be more than 1,500. That's just a guess. And so with that amount of data being generated, there's surely quite a bit of safety data that goes along with that. And then, of course, you rightfully mentioned many of our patients have been on drug for, you know, four years at least. And so the safety data that goes along with that, you would think, you would hope that when you combine all that safety data with the additional efficacy data 
that even if the treatment effect delta remained the same at 11% for fibrosis with no NASH resolution improvement, that given the large additional volume of safety data, that maybe that would be enough. We certainly could use uh, an approval of a beta-colic acid for the treatment of NASH fibrosis. I think we're all hopeful that, that they will refile, but there is no doubt there is a tremendous amount of data that has been collected. And and let's not forget the phase three reverse trial. In well-compensated cirrhotic patients with a beta-colic acid, that trial has finished. Not only have they enrolled, but they've reached an endpoint, and we're just waiting for the top-line results from that trial. So that's a whole additional bit of safety data in a well-compensated F4 population. As well. Fully agree. And I think shows you uh, the wealth. And of course, it's so important to carry the patients onwards. And I've seen that, you know, to lose patients in that journey is, uh, is, is uh, or have them withdraw consent or not being able to collect those endpoints. That's something that's been difficult. But I think they did a good job. And, and most studies send us in keeping patients on drug. And, and we'll see that data emerge. And that, that's very exciting for me, too. Stephen, on what timeline do you expect we'll start to learn from the wealth of data? And what do you think will be the first things to See, I don't know how involved you are in the process, but um, your, your sense of what people are going to be learning and when I think would be really helpful. Look, I think at Easel, there, I mean, the, the presentations are out. They're in the public domain. I mean, we, we know what's being presented. There's going to be, I, I think, some new data on non-invasive tests, particularly as it is related to resmeterone and DHR betas. You know, I'll, I'll be going through the top-line data from the Maestro NAF of one trial, which is 52 weeks of treatment. There's two drug treatment arms. There's an open-label arm and a placebo arm. And there is a, a incredible amount of non-invasive testing data that was collected from FibroScan to MR elastography to MRI proton density fat fraction to other various and sundry wet biomarkers. So we will be mining that data long after easel. There's no way we could get through all that data in a thousand patients treated for 52 weeks in a 10-minute presentation. And you can't mine all that data in a matter of a month or two. So there will be many more very insightful pieces of data that I'm hopeful will be generated from that data set. Just look at the Stellar 3 and Stellar 4 trials with Gilead. My gosh, Yorn, how many papers have we published off of that data? And that was roughly 800 patients in Stellar 4 and uh, probably the same number in Stellar 3. So 1,600 patients worth of data. So I'm, I'm very hopeful that we'll be able to uh, mine that data for all the richness that it's likely to hold. And then in addition, there's probably going to be, I'm I think some very good looks at AI digital pathology relative to some more interesting concepts that are coming out focused around liver volume reduction and what that means to histopathology. And, and I'm, I'm anxious to see that. Um, there will be more to come at AASLD as well. And so where we're headed, we're going to learn a lot more about mechanism of action of drugs. We're going to learn about how the non-invasive tests react to those mechanisms of action. Because I think we all agree that not all mechanisms utilize the non-invasive tests the same way. An example would be not all drugs move liver fat in the same way as others. And so maybe MRI PDFF is good for some mechanisms, but not good for others. And we'll learn more about where that's applicable, I think. And just to follow up what Stephen says, you know, with the FXRs, we have 48-month data now, but with the Maestro NASH trial and the cirrhosis trial, there's just many more biomarkers being run in the back end. And I think the, the richness of data, as he said, is much deeper compared to the earlier phase three trials that we started, because back then, 
then they didn't bother to put up all these NITs at the same time. So that's great. And I agree with that. Yeah, my assessment of drug development in NASH is a lot like assessment of my own self when I look introspectively. And that is, you've heard me maybe say this before, I'm not who I used to be and I'm not where I want to be. I'm a work in progress. And I think that's where we are in the field of NASH. We're clearly not where we used to be and we're not where we want to be, but we're working our way through the challenges. We're learning from other failures. We're learning from success. And I think that it's all going to be better and better and better. Doesn't mean we won't have setbacks along the way, but I think learning from those setbacks helps us to understand how we need to evaluate these drugs moving forward. And we're getting better at it. Our pathologist colleagues are working hard to understand what's happening with treatment and understanding that resolution of disease is sometimes a tricky thing to understand histopathologically, but we're getting there. We're learning from that. So it's a lot of stuff, right? That's a, that's a lot of data coming out from a couple of sources in a world that's really clamoring for a couple of things, which is A, first drug to market, and second of all, some realistic ability to understand more broadly what's going to happen here. Of all the various pieces of data that you've talked about, if you had to pick two or three that you'd consider tea leaves for the future of uh, disease therapy? Well, we'll just loop in, Stephen, every other week and uh, we'll get an update on this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> failing that, though, people bet on futures. So I'm just kind of curious. If you had to pick two or three, Stephen, that you think might be tea leaves for the rest of the year, what would be the ones you'd look at most? Given that everybody thought OCA was getting approved two years ago, so prediction is hardly perfect. Well, again, we want to learn from that experience. And the experience that I think we all learned, or that, that I personally learned, is that safety and tolerability are very, very important to the FDA. Maybe as much, if not more than efficacy. you got to be able to give a drug in NASH for the long haul, and it has to be well tolerated. It has to be safe. Maybe if, if, if we want to use the word tea leave, I think, you know, the top line results from the Maestro NAFLD-1 trial were insightful in that, you know, you got a thousand patients treated for one year and it's very well tolerated and it's safe. So here you have a phase three trial reading out its primary endpoint is safety and, and it hit that. The next thing is efficacy. And, and I don't have a crystal ball, so I, I can't predict the future. But I can say that, that I think half the battle has been won, and that is safety and tolerability. So if there is STAT-SIG to be had on NASH resolution or fibrosis improvement, then I think that would bode well for the NASH community as a drug that is very likely to, to be approved. So that is something I'm looking forward to. The other thing I would say is when we look at the FGF21 class of drug, here we have a lot of early phase data suggesting that we're doing something very, very favorable in the liver. And maybe just as importantly, it's not just what we're doing in the liver, it's what we're doing extrahepatically. It's what we're doing to glycemic control, to atherogenic lipids, to liver fat content. So I think that's important, not only for the FGF21, but we see that on atherogenic lipids for the thyroid hormone receptor beta class, a drug as well. The tea leaves that I'm going to mention now that are important is it's not just about what's happening histopathologically. It's what's happening holistically to our patients. Are they getting better? Are they reducing potential CV risk? You know, are we having an impact that is beyond just what we would expect to see in the liver? Because I, I feel like where we're headed in drug development in NASH is something that's bigger than just the liver. We would like to have a drug that impacts all the dysregulated energy metabolism that exists in our patients. Now, does that exist today? Well, I think we can clearly say 
there is not one drug that probably does everything we want it to do ideally. And that would be, we want to lose liver fat, we want to improve glycemic control, improve atherogenic lipids, lose weight, improve fibrosis, and resolve NASH. If we hit on all those, that's the holy grail. And I think it's early days to say that there is a drug that could do that. The GLP-1s are very, very attractive, but from the phase 2B trial that Phil Newsom published in New England Journal of Medicine, still lacking a little bit on fibrosis. Now, you can make the argument that they clearly showed that it prevented progression of fibrosis, but they didn't have a treatment effect delta on fibrosis resolution. Now, will they get there with larger numbers? Maybe. The placebo response rate was 33%, so that was that was quite high. In fact, I've heard arguments made, and I've made them myself, that the drug effect on fibrosis was similar to lanafibrinor, but the placebo effect was different between the two trials, making lanafibrinor positive for fibrosis, but, but semaglutide not. After Stephen mentions the drugs and semaglutide, he notes that the GLP-1s are very attractive drug candidates and that he's anxious to see them in combination therapies, particularly to be used with glucagons or GIP agents. He mentioned that Ultimune has a glucagon GLP-1 receptor agonist combination. Hanmi has one. AstraZeneca does. Lily does. And goes on to say that there are many that are looking at this not only from the obesity or diabetes perspective, but also as a NASH resolution agent. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next week with Stephen and Professor Quentin Anstey discussing what we've learned in the past year about non-invasive testing, histopathology, and best practices in diagnostics. Until then, stay safe and surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.